ask the question, what can I do to help? She had no idea that this question would lead her and her husband, John, into three years of intense relief work, helping survivors of the Black Saturday fires. This is not another bushfire story, though that is the setting. This is a story about how a local church and community responded in the face of crisis. And it asks the question, are there still fires burning today? What trauma and pain in our society is right on our doorstep? And can the church and community still respond in 2009? So um, we're Jan is going to be selling these at the back uh, this morning. And we're going to be putting 20% of what we uh, sell this morning towards the drought relief uh, cause that we've got. So, um, yeah, I really encourage you to, to get a hold of this book. This book reflects the heart of Hope Centre. It, um, it's, it's about couple of the things that Jan found when she went to her pastor um, at Diamond Creek Valley, Diamond Valley Baptist uh, back in 2009 um, and she said to him, somebody has asked us if we can use our church as a relief centre. Her pastor's response was, the answer has to be yes. And he also said, but it's going to get messy. And the question that this book poses to us as a Christian community today is, A, is hell still on the doorstep? because we can't see it in the media, perhaps we will with the drought, but there, is it still in our doorstep? Do we have homeless? Do we have refugees? Do we have domestic violence? Do we have drug abuse? Do we have the broken and hurting, the depressed and the suicidal, the lonely? Uh, is the problem still on the doorstep? And I think we all know that the answer is yes. But the question this book asks is, are we prepared to get messy? And is the answer still going to be yes? So I really encourage you to grab a copy of this today. Um, it's going to be cheaper than if you buy it from Kurong. It is available as an e-book e from both Kurong and Amazon if you're a Kindle reader. Um, and 20% of what we sell here today will go to the drought relief. So that's the plug for the day. How are you all? Today's sermon title is called Great Expectations. Now, if you're... Uh, literature fan, literature fans, please wave at me. Okay, um, there's a few. You'll be familiar with the story from Charles Dickens called Great Expectations. I'm going to give you a quick nutshell version of it. A young, young boy by the name of Pip, he was an orphan. He was out um, in the lonely moors visiting the graveyard where his parents were buried and he was looking at the gravestones when he was accosted by a dirty convict in chains a violent man who threatened him and said, you need to get me food and you need to get me a file to get these shackles off or I'm going to, I can't remember what the threat was, but it was a fate worse than death. So Pip runs home, he steals a file from the workshop and he steals some food and takes it back to the convict. Um, the convict gets the shackles off, but long story short, he eventually gets captured and gets shipped off to Australia uh, as a convict out here. Now, as time goes on, Pip is invited by a woman, you see in the middle, a rather eccentric, nasty sort of woman, her name was Miss Havisham, to be his, compa his companion. Now this woman, um, she had a lot of emotional issues and she intended to bring Pip up to love her ward. She had another girl that she was looking after. Um, and the intention was that he, she would twist his heart so that the, the girl would eventually make him fall in love with her and then she would get rid of him and hurt him, just as she had been hurt. She was a vengeful, nasty piece of work, all right? Now, Pip fell for it, hook, line and sinker, and he used to go to this woman's place regularly. And he did fall in love with this, this young woman. And, of course, uh, just as they intended, 
um, you know, she was very cruel and very nasty to him. Somewhere along the journey, Pip got word that he was to be the uh, benefactor of a huge inheritance. But the benefactor had said that they had to be secret. They did not know who it was. So Pip was shipped off to London. He was all of a sudden put in the best of schools, dressed in the best of clothes, had everything he needed, and um, with the expectation, that's what they called an inheritance in those days, that he would inherit this huge fortune when he turned 21. Pip had it in his head that it was Miss Havisham that was the secret benefactor. And he had it in his head that she intended that he would marry the water Stella. Just on the eve of his 21st birthday, who should appear but the convict, who'd snuck back from Australia illegally. And what he'd been doing in Australia all these years was he'd been making a, a fortune on a sheep property. He'd done his time, made a sheep property, made all this money and decided he was going to leave it all to this young man who'd helped him. When Pip came to understand who it was that had given him everything, the clothes that he wore and his education, he was angry, he was upset and he was disgusted and declared he would not take another cent. Well, the story goes on from there, but we won't go on with it now. What happened was Pip had an expectation and he had an idea how it was all going to work out. And when it turned out that it wasn't what he thought, he was really disgusted and he drew back and he basically said, I'm not going to have a part of this anymore. Now, this story puts me in mind of where we can be today in our society. We'll just go to the next slide. In our society, we have a society where the focus is very much on ourselves. We live in what's called an individualistic society. Um, that's very common in the West where the focus, the first and foremost thing in an individu individualistic society is me. What is best for me, right? Now, there are other cultures in the world today, particularly across the Middle East. Um, the Jewish culture is one uh, example, the old Jewish culture at least, where um, their ideas was not individualistic, but a community focus. In other words, what is best for the community? And that's how their children are brought up to feel what is best for the community, what's best for the community within which I live, not what is best for me. But our society is not like that. Our society is definitely what is best for me. It makes it very difficult because we have individualist expectations. What we expect to get from life is based on a personal rights culture. Um, You'll see some of the ones up there. I have a right to do what's best for me. I have a right to be happy. I have a right to succeed. I have a right to free education. I have a right to free health care. You know, I shouldn't have to live in a rubbish relationship that I, that I don't get on with. It doesn't make me happy. I shouldn't have to put up with rubbish at work. All of these sort of personal rights, you've heard it. it it's advertised on television all the time. It is part of our psyche, it's part of our culture, and it's part of building up an expectation within us all the time. And the media and the advertisements that you see, what we should look like. 
And that's why I never look in the mirror. But we see on the television what it is we should look like, what it is we should be eating, how we should be succeeding, the houses that we should be living, the cars that we should be driving, right? We have these expectations put on us and it is our personal right and that's what we should be gunning for, yeah? You all with me here? Nice to see you there, Geordie, at the front row. We've been, we get told about our basic human rights and our basic human rights have gone, you know, it, it's extended quite far and wide and the focus of them at the moment, sadly, which is driving our expectations to the wrong place, is ourselves. And in it, what happens when you don't look like what you should look like, according to television, or you don't have the car, or you don't have the house, or things go belly up? What happens when things go wrong? Because, you know, it's not my fault, it's my husband's fault. Or it's my children's fault. Or it's my boss's fault. Or it's the government's fault. Or it's the church's fault. It's everybody else's fault that they are not meeting the expectations to get me to the place that I need to be in. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? It's being a bit harsh, I know. But what happens in all of this is that we lose our joy and we lose our peace because it's not working out the way it should. Just like Pip in that story when he found out it wasn't going to be as he had always expected it to be, he had lost his joy and he'd lost his peace. Have a look at the next slide. You know why? Let's have a look at it here. Who has ever felt deflated, particularly in the football season, particularly this football season, unless you were a West Coast supporter? <laughs> Is there any West Coast supporters in the room? Yes, Bella? We've got one. Two. We've got two West Coast supporters. Those would be the only two that didn't have any particular deflation during the football season. Um, I remember uh, after a number of games this year, I kept saying to Nick, I am so glad my hope is in the Lord. <laughs> and I feel very sorry for people whose hope is not in the Lord and it's in their football team. Because let's face it, folks, we didn't have a good year, most of us. Hope in a football team, misplaced hope. Who has felt discouraged when a family member or members are on a path that brings you pain? All of a sudden, family members whom you love, you're the target of anger. They're angry at you. They're angry at God. They're angry at the church. Who has felt defeated and without strength to move forward because of financial pressure and stress at work? The job is just driving you mad. The, the money that you expected that you would be making is just not happening. Who has felt deflated and lost motivation when your idea or your innovation is not accepted? When your book that you had written has not become an international bestseller? Anybody? Who, if you are really honest, has thought in your heart, I cannot see the point of even trying? This is what I call misplaced hope, where you have your hope in your children with expectations of what's going to happen. You have your hope in your financial success with expectations of what you think is going to happen. You have your hope in your work or in your partner or in your football team, God help us all. This is what you call misplaced hope. And you'll see the um, scripture I have on the screen, 1 Samuel 12, 21. 
Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. What am I saying? I'm saying that we make idols of things. Just look at the next slide. We put our things in hope, uh, we put our hope in things that do not satisfy. I reminded um, in Exodus 32, and I'm just going to read you the, the scripture a little bit. The Israelites had only just finished being delivered from 400 years of slavery. And it was rather spectacular, the delivery. Uh, they had, um, had no less than 10 plagues sent against the Egyptians. And then when Pharaoh finally let them go, they come to the Red Sea being led by a pillar of fire or cloud. And what happens at the Red Sea? But that God does not open it up before them and they pass through. This has all happened to them five minutes before we get to Exodus 32. Well, five minutes in a generic, in a um, hyperbole sense. They get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up onto the mountain to receive the word of the Lord for what it is that they should be doing. How, how are they going to live now that they're not slaves? And so Moses goes to receive the word from the Lord up on the mountain. And this is what happens. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off your golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a moulded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of Egypt. Can't you imagine the cheek? How rude. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. How smart is Aaron? And Aaron made a pro proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay, so we don't do a lot of golden calves. Because we all know to stay away from golden calves, right? There's not one of you that would have a golden calf. Anybody got a golden calf in their house? And a lot of us, most of us, are a little bit, um, what would you say, we're a little bit cautious about um, Asian gods that we, we know are worshipped in Asia. We're a bit cautious about bringing them into our homes as um, pieces of furniture uh, because we think, no, 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 we're not going to have a, um, a false god or an idol in our house, which I think is pretty sensible, actually, to be perfectly honest. But how often do we put other things into our lives? An idol is simply something that is put into the place of God, right? So that could actually be your football team, if that is where you're putting your hope. If you're saying to your football team, you're leading me out of my depression, you're leading me into hope. If you're saying, uh, you know, of your job or of, the, of your success, even of your children, I'm going to live for my children and my children are going to give me all the satisfaction and they're going to make me who I am. Take it from one who knows. That's not a good place to be putting your children into the position of God, into the position of the ones that are going to bring all fulfillment to you. They're going to be the ones that are going to bring you all your satisfaction. 
They're the, they're the ones that you're placing all your hope. People, this is not a good place to put your children. They weren't made to be God. They are made to be your kids. Sometimes kids don't always, it, sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes, you know, your partner doesn't always shape up. I'm, I'm sure that most partners here are all doing a splendid job. Anybody? Sometimes we put things into the place of God, things that do not satisfy, things that do not bring life. And I've got a couple of scriptures up there because I'm talking about we need the living water, the living bread. Um, John 14, 4, 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's bread and water that satisfy. I actually did put a uh, disclaimer in here which I forgot to make, which I'm just going to quickly make. Some um, folks might say it's all very well when you talk about, um, you know, not living for yourself and and all of that. Um, I've actually seen it written down. You shouldn't say that because people who are in abusive situations and things like that will all of a sudden think to themselves, I should stop complaining. I should just stay here, submit and be subject to abuse. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that at all. If you're in a a dangerous or abusive situation, remove yourself because um, I just wanted to make that disclaimer. The other disclaimer I wanted to make was, some people are in a period of grief because of loss, loss of something, someone they have lost uh, to death or perhaps broken relationship. Once again, if you're in a period of grief, grief is a thing that God has given you to help you work towards healing, to work through towards healing. So if you're in grief, you're supposed to grieve. Um, I'm not talking about that. Uh, so I just wanted to throw those disclaimers in because sometimes people hear things that I'm not saying and I'm not saying that. But I am saying... Something else. Right, let's go to the next page because I was supposed to say that before and I forgot. But I think it's important to be said. Um, Lollies and lies. Now, when I I did a study just recently about uh, the names of God, Uh, Jesus, of course, is the name that is above every name. But there, uh, in fact, God has 16 names other than Jesus. 16 names. You know some of them as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our God, our provider. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our God, our peace. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our God, our healer. Like there's 16 of them. But one of them that's not often mentioned is Kana. I think, I'm, didn't check to see how it's pronounced, but I'm saying Kana. And it's the Lord is our, uh, our God is a jealous God. Now, that's not often mentioned because when you say the word jealous, it often conjures up ideas of uh, somebody, a green-eyed person who's obsessive, controlling maniacal freak who's a bit stalker-like personality, right, when you're talking jealous. You're laughing. Is that only me that thinks that? Hmm. But in actual fact, that is not what God is a jealous God is talking about. When you're talking about a jealous God, I want you to have a look at this picture. Suppose in your household you've got your children there and your children are playing out the front and somebody happens by and starts to offer your children lollies and lies, trying to entice them away from you. Anybody? Who here would get up and go out and pound that person into powder? Only a few. 
What's with the rest of you? Um, what happens if your children are a little bit older and they're teenagers and that, that person, you know, lures them away? What do you do if you're the parent in that household? You go up, like it's, it's the Pinocchio story all over again. Who's familiar with Pinocchio? literature people I, I, we, we've got to develop some culture here um pinocchio of course is the little boy little wooden boy who gets enticed away by the older boys who say come away with us to pleasure island where everything is fun all the time you have all you want to eat and pleasure and fun all the time and of course pinocchio gets lured away and of course what the father doesn't just sit at home and mourn he goes out after him and this is what god is going to do he's not just going to sit here while we're being fed lollies and lies about things in our life. God is going to go out after you. Yeah? You know the song we've been singing recently, Reckless Love? I've just put the lyrics of uh, the chorus up there on Bethel Music. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. A jealous God is one who says, Oi, you belong to me. You belong in my presence, in, in the safety of, uh, safe in my house, safe in my presence. This is not about, you know, we get the idea twisted sometimes that God is just like a um, highly ultra um, controlling t- personality that just doesn't want you to have any fun. You know, having any fun with anything else in your life. But this is not what the jealousy of God is about. It's about you being safe in his presence. When we're talking about, and we're going to talk about on the next page, the three three things, the joy and the peace that we've talked about that can get lost when your expectations are not met, and the hope, they all sort of three work together. These three things are found where? In the presence of God. And when you're being drawn away, when you're being lured out with lollies and lies to places and you're building up things in your life that are, uh, that are putting those things in God's place in your life and they're going to fall over, they're going to fall on top of you, they will not satisfy. Look, they might go grand for a while. But these things ultimately do not, they're not with you in the hardest times. I'll talk about that uh, a bit more. Just having a look at um, these three things. I talked about when you lose your joy and you lose your peace because your expectations are not met. We live in a time in our society, in our community, where more than ever we are in desperate need of the power of God to bring salvation and healing, particularly in the area of our mental health and our emotional health. Anybody want to contend with me on that? Anybody? No? Anybody want to say anything at all? (laughs) I'm going to have to do more dancing, I can see. Um, We are in a society that does chase after false idols. Not carved ones, but we do. We chase after false idols. We live in a society where our culture of personal rights has lured us into a place way, way away from where God is. And we say, but the Bible is constantly saying, it's talking about joy, the fullness of joy. It's constantly talking about rejoicing the Lord always. It's constantly talking about um, counting it all joy, even in the midst of trials, right? You're familiar with that, right? Um, 
But you might be sitting in a place where you're saying, but I don't feel like rejoicing. I don't feel like it. I feel anything but rejoicing. Anybody? I don't feel like rejoicing and it's not my fault. It's the church's fault or it's the government's fault. And it's because I've got slow internet speed. Who's lost their joy with the internet? I can't even get internet at my house, but anyway. Um, I'm just going to read a quote from a blog by Jack Wellman. And the quote says, Joy isn't like happiness, which is based upon happenings or whether things are going well or not. No. Joy remains even amidst the suffering. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an emotion that is acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. When you're talking about words like anticipation and expectation of something hope or one, uh, something great or wonderful, we're talking about hope. That's why these things, hope and peace and joy, are all intrinsically entwined. They sort of like the hope leads one to the other. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, when we talk about hope, uh, especially in the Christian context, um, hope gets a bit of a bad, um, bad press sometimes. Um, particularly because we talk, we talk about um, there's hope in Christ. Uh, if somebody's in a bad situation, let's pray because we have hope in Christ, right? And it gets a bit of a bad rap because some people say, well, all Christians do is they give people false hope, right? Well, I would just like to say here and now, and you can contend with me later if you like, but I would say there's no such thing as false hope because that is an oxymoron. Either hope is hope, or you don't have hope. I'm happy for you to say there is no hope, if, you, if that's the place where you must be, but I don't think that that's true. But saying false hope is ridiculous because it's an oxymoron. Hope is hope. Even if you're praying for somebody who's got a terminal illness and you've got hope, you've got, while well, there is breath, there is hope. Uh, sometimes you will all have been in this situation where sometimes you come to a place where that person is not healed as we would have expected it today physically. And the hope for that healing is gone. But is all hope lost? In the terms that we're speaking about, eternal hope, hope in Christ. And if you look at that scripture up there, Hebrews eleven thirteen, you know there's a whole host of people um, in Hebrews. They're talking about all the ancient people of faith. And it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. I just wonder, we expect, and this is when I'm talking about great expectations, we expect you to deliver. If I order something online and pay for it through PayPal, I expect that it will be delivered if I put my faith in Australia Post. ever had any issues with Australia Post? Anybody? You, we expect, we expect, we expect good internet speed. And I'm severely disappointed <laughs> at the minute. I have to run, having to, this is at the house in, in Adelaide where we are. I'm having to run off of uh, my hotspot at the minute. It's not working out too well. But that's, um, that's how we are. We expect things. We expect things. But in the culture of God, in the, the big scheme of things, are we always going to get everything we expect? 
Or are we believing for promises and have we got our hope placed in an eternal God? Now, I'm not sort of undermining the fact that the miracle might come now. It might come tomorrow. It might come this afternoon. Or maybe the miracle is going to come in a format that we do not recognise, in a time and a place after we expect it to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? But do we have hope? I believe in Christ there is always hope. And that hope leads us into joy and peace, which is the things that we're talking about today, the joy and the peace of Christ that we can often lose if our expectation is misplaced. What is our source of hope? The, um, the next slide up there, Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. You know this, you know this scripture, the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, this fruit is developed in you. Yeah? If you walk in the Spirit, this fruit is developed in you. If you walk in the flesh, chasing after other things with your eyes on other things, on yourself, on what you want. What is developed in you? It's not usually this. It's usually, there's another list. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you get that? He will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. 